As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hello and welcome to the final show of the year. Justin Briley bringing you the programme where I sit down with renowned New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. And uh, we've been doing this on a more or less weekly basis uh, during the course of 2021. And it's great to know how many new listeners have joined us for the journey. The programme's brought to you in partnership with N.T. Wright Online and SBCK, Tom's UK publisher. I'm Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor. Uh, today's show, believe it or not, 98, number 98. So not long till we hit the big 100 in a couple of weeks' time in 2022. Uh, today on the show, uh, questions on our responsibilities as Christians. How should we handle wealth and poverty? What about the amount of time we give to ourselves? Should we spend on things like holidays? And you'll find about Tom's thoughts on football and the proposed European Super League that got abandoned among accusations of greed by the clubs behind it so look out for all of that in a moment um lovely to hear people getting in touch with the show sue wrote in recently to say i'm so thankful for the opportunity to gain clarity from tom wright's careful explanations his warm encouragement and exhortation i think of nt writers christendom's beethoven a man with a brilliant mind who has written countless symphonies yet can gently and patiently explain the how and why of the notes working together Thanks for all you both contribute to listeners through this podcast. What a lovely uh, message to end the year with. Thank you very much, Sue. And uh, if you do enjoy the podcast and have enjoyed it during 2021, why not uh, rate and review us? It helps others to discover the show. And if you want to support the show with an end of year gift and help others discover more of Tom's thought and theology into 2022, you can do that from the links with today's show. We've got some big plans as well for 2022 that'll tell you about towards the end of today's program uh, as ever you can find more from the show via our webpage askntwrite.com welcome back to today's show and we're tackling some really practical sorts of questions today on how as christians we should handle wealth resources our own time and that sort of thing people often i think tom feel somewhat guilty you know they feel well i should always be you know working for the kingdom or, or solving you know world poverty or whatever and, and maybe feel guilty you know when they sit down and watch some tv or, or even go on holiday or something like that and and these, these are the practical kind of considerations aren't they that, that that people often find as to how to live out their faith in the real world um let's start with ed who <laughs> begins with a a sporting analogy um you were probably aware of the furore uh, over the european super league 
Um, do you remember this, Tom? Yes, the, the, the accusations of greed from some of the top clubs who said we're all going to band together and make something super profitable. Um, and, and Ed says here, uh, the, the European Super League concept that originally had the support of Arsenal, Manchester United, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea and Tottenham caused a huge public backlash. And while I'm interested to know your thoughts on the Super League, I don't think that question has ever come up on the podcast. Uh, I'd also like to know what your thoughts are around megachurches and their place in our global witness to the world, as opposed to smaller community congregations. Uh, and also the prosperity gospel and the idea of church leaders having a great deal of material wealth. So in brief, how should Christians, whether in sport, business, church or other areas of society, handle wealth and poverty in a way that honours God? Well, well, let's first of all I'll ask what, what, what you made of that, that furore over the, the Super League, Tom. Um, I mean, the sporting world has transformed in the course of my lifetime into an extremely profitable money-making business, particularly, of course, through television. That when I was young, um, many sports, including rugby union, were completely amateur. And if somebody was uh, paid even a little bit as a backhander and then it came out, they would be, that would be, they'd be banned. Mm. And likewise, athletics. Um, when I was young, the Olympic Games was entirely amateur. And I remember what happened when Rugby Union went professional was that a lot of people in the organization of the game were making a lot of money um, through television rights and so on, while the players were getting precisely nothing except maybe travel expenses and so on. So they all had to have other careers, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et and the players just said, this is ridiculous. We're carving ourselves up and keeping fit and mm -hmm. crunching into each other for nothing. And you guys sitting back there um, are smoking your cigars and, and getting rich on it. And that's just not right. Now, I understand that argument, but then, of course, as soon as you go there, then it's, ah, well, now we can have a better league and a super league and more mm. this and more that. Until now, the game is completely different from what it was in the days of my youth. Now, speaking as a lifelong Newcastle United supporter <laughs> who has just recently been both delighted and shocked by a mega takeover by some apparently rather dodgy sources, i.e. Saudi Arabian businessmen, um, then this raises all sorts of questions which I, as a Newcastle supporter, ought to be worried about. I am a bit worried about it. Um, but I think most of us in Britain just reckon that funny things have happened with the Premiership um, over the last, well, since the Premiership was invented, which is, what, 20 years or so ago. Um, and we don't like it, but it's the way it is. And actually, of course, the world has run on greed so much and for so much time that I think the only thing to be said about that is that governments need to look more closely at how appropriately to tax people who seem to be paying themselves or hauling in absurd and outrageous sums of money so that, as we all know, in the recent years, the rich have got richer and the poor have got poorer, both within first world countries and as between first and third world. Now, I remember it's not that long ago when I heard somebody talking about surplus income and I remember thinking, I wonder what that is <laughs> because um, somebody who'd worked partly in the church and partly in the academy, my wife and I never had any surplus income. The only way we could have holidays was having free ones. Mm. If I was asked to do some lectures somewhere mm. and then they uh, said, bring the family and stay on for a week or something, that, that was how we did our family vacations. So um, for much of mine and Maggie's life, we haven't actually even had to face the sorts of decisions that people have to face when they do have um, somewhat more income from their job or whatever um, than they actually need for their ordinary living expenses and their ordinary family expenses. So I'm not very experienced in this, nor have I had 
the job of advising or pastorally counselling people who do have a lot of money. I have known some very wealthy people in the course of my work, and sometimes I've been wonderfully impressed with the way that they have handled that money and have been careful to channel it into all sorts of good directions, mm. as well as providing for their family and giving family and friends uh, large and fun parties and that sort of thing, which seems to me exactly what in the Bible you regularly have. Feasts which say, God is good, let's celebrate his goodness to us. Because when we are overwhelmed by a sense of world poverty and all the rest of it, it's possible to shrink back in and think that everything about this world is, is, is rather sort of dangerous and that we mustn't enjoy it at all and we must uh, apologize for spending money even on uh, a good holiday or a nice meal or whatever, uh, even if it's only once in a while mm. and for a special occasion. Oh, should I really be doing this? And I think the answer is you prayerfully have to think through what is right in your circumstances. You have to be sure that money is not driving you, but that you are handling it um, and that the money that God has given you by whatever means, whether it's inherited or through a job or through a windfall, you know, suddenly mm. somebody gives money to somebody in the church because they like what they're doing, whatever. If that is so, well, think prayerfully about how best to use that. When I was in Montreal, the cathedral discovered that by developing the land underneath the cathedral into an amazing shopping precinct and by building on another bit of land, which they had right by the cathedral, they were going to make a lot of money. And to my delight, the first question which was asked in Synod was, we're going to give a third of this away where is it going to? And that was exactly the right decision. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how they how they figured that out. But that was a great instinct. Instead of saying, oh, good, we've got all this money. The sense was, God is blessing us. We need to be blessing mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. How can we best do that? And then how can mm -hmm. we resource the work of the church, etc., etc.? So I think um, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing. On the one hand, uh, we must at all costs avoid the greed is good mentality because greed is a form of idolatry. Um, Paul says so in Ephesians, um, covetousness and so on. Um, and we're constantly told, beware of covetousness, beware of the love of money and so on. Um, and it ought to send shivers down our spines when we have a sense of people actually loving mm. money in the sense of, wow, I've got this money, now I can make some more and more and more. Um, no, if you've got enough, and there is a nervousness about that because people who've just escaped real poverty um, really are nervous about mm. giving too much away mm. in case there might not mm. be enough mm. to feed the family next week or whatever it may be. So we do have to come to a place of, as it were, reconciliation before God with, yes, we, we need to do this. But when it comes to things like holidays, of course, some people go in for ridiculous, lavish, great, highly expensive things. Um, most of us, I think, realize that particularly in family contexts, we need a break. We need to be refreshed. In the ancient world and up until really early modern world, people would do that by taking um, one day a week very seriously um, as a time of real rest and uh, by having seasons as well. And the idea of overwork is a very, uh, mostly, mm. not entirely, but mostly a very modern yeah. thing of people needing to be six days at least in the office and, and maybe more and maybe working 12 or 14 hours a day or you're not really up for it. Mm. You know, th th there is a dangerous culture yeah. of that. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm just walking around. Yes, the issue well, the but in many ways, you've already helped to helpfully address one of the questions here. Um, Rob in Blue Mountains, Australia, who fe- feels a bit guilty about spending money on holidays and, and had asked, you know, uh, we went on a long way to trip to the UK and France just before COVID struck. And it was wonderful. But I did feel a twinge of guilt, um, took us more than a year to save up for it. And we were the only ones who benefited from it. Um, but, you know, uh, should people who are devoted to serving Jesus spend money on things like holidays? I can't imagine the disciples ever had the chance to jet off for a nice beachside escape for a couple of weeks. Um, but then, as you said, what you've just said, I think helpfully or maybe helps to, to address those concerns about about prayerfully considering and, and that we aren't made to simply be human doings but there is a place for rest and relaxation yes yes of course and as i say the modern world puts pressures on us the like of which our forebears never knew Mm. and um the disciples i'm sure would never have dreamt of working a 14-hour day um in their ordinary day jobs whether it's fishing or whatever it was they would have a much more balanced rhythm to their lives um and it's when only when really you get then the roman empire um with its civil service empires do this to people empires say we want to expand we've got to do this so you're going to have to go and do this and you're going to have to go and do that but ordinary people in the ancient world ordinary people in the middle ages and the early modern period would have had a much more um reflective and um what's the word i'm looking for a rhythmic Mm. cycle to their lives and there were the great holidays um, always, whether it was Christmas or whether it was All Saints Day, which, and I'm recording this mm. just after All Saints Day, um, uh, the, these, were, these were public holidays and people were down tools. They might go to church, they might have a celebratory meal, and these would be looked forward to at times of rejoicing and time to pause and celebrate the goodness of God. Mm. And when you look at the Old Testament and, and its regulations of the feasts, as well as the fasts, then there are whole seasons, whole weeks of mm. feasting, of mm. going to Jerusalem and, and having a great yes. party and all the family is yes. there and why not? And if somebody had said, oh dear, should we be spending this money? The answer is yes. We we have worked um, for the previous however long and we are going to celebrate the presence of God and his redeeming love for his people and why not? Mm. And perhaps if when we're planning a holiday, we actually did it in that mindset, this is a way of showing our appreciation to the good God who is giving us all this richly to enjoy yeah. and, and that sense of the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof you know uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 Paul quotes that at the end of First Corinthians 10 when he's been talking about what you're allowed to eat and not eat and there's that sense of God's lavish bounty and yes there is a time for fasting yes there is a time for giving stuff away I mean William Wilberforce, the great uh, reformer, the abolisher of the slave trade, he died quite a poor man because whatever he could, he gave away. And that's a wonderful example. I suspect he was probably well off enough Mm. that he could give away a lot and be reduced, but still have enough. I don't think he was actually, you know, begging for his living. But um, uh, there there are examples like that which should rock us back a bit. Mm. It isn't a matter of um, the one who dies with the most money in the bank is the one who wins. No, no, no. Generosity is is what Mm. counts. God's generosity to us our generosity to the world around yes and, and maybe if you are in the fortunate position of, of having you know uh, that that kind of spending money then why not yep. think of someone else who might enjoy a holiday as well who you could well, bless with it, and, it well it, exactly exactly yeah. yes 
I feel like we didn't quite uh, finish off Ed's question, though. Uh, and that was, you know, when it came to that European Super League, he was sort of comparing it to the way that um, mega churches, you know, uh, exist yeah. in comparison to smaller community yes. congregations. And yes. the fact that the leaders of some of these mega churches can, at least on the face of it, look quite materially well off and, and so on. So do you think there's a connection there? Should we be concerned at, at Christians who effectively do, you know, get quite rich from Christian ministry? Yes. Yes, yes, and 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 clearly that um, is not something which is, to put it mildly, envisaged in the New Testament. If you look at Second Corinthians and Paul's um, self-portrait of his own life as an apostle, obviously not everyone was travelling around and getting shipwrecked and beaten up in the way that Paul was. But he's saying this: this is the pattern of Christ, and it seems to me that's the default mode for Christian ministers to expect to be in difficult and awkward positions and uh, to find things being uncomfortable, etc. Because if you're taking forward the gospel of the kingdom, you should expect some sort of opposition. I think part of the problem here is the whole culture of the, as you named it before, the prosperity gospel, um, which seems to me a, a radical perversion of the message of Deuteronomy um, and often it goes back to that that if you give stuff to God then God will richly bless you etc etc and we have to remember that Deuteronomy sits there in scripture alongside the book of Job alongside Psalm 73 alongside Psalm uh, 88 44 etc which are saying the rich the prosperous the proud the arrogant they're getting away with it and here am I suffering and, and what's this all about um, in, in other words um, the specific promises to Israel in Deuteronomy about if you obey, you will eat the fat of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be cast out. Well, fair enough. If in modern America or modern anywhere else, if you uh, uh, follow the way of God, if you work hard, if you uh, keep your promises, if you're faithful to your spouse, if you are doing uh, all that you should do, it may well be that actually people will trust you, people will come to your business, people will regard you as a good neighbour, and that you may, quote unquote, prosper in terms of things will go well with you financially and so on. It may not. Things may go horribly wrong. There may be a war, there may be an earthquake, there may be a pandemic. All sorts of things may go badly wrong. And that doesn't mean that you've misbehaved. It just means that the work is the world is darker than a simplistic reading of Deuteronomy would make out and certainly of course we in Britain have to be careful here because it's easy to knock American megachurches and say oh it's all just big business and they're all just uh, showmen and show women um, and we don't like that sort of thing because we British like small drafty churches <laughs> with only 25 <laughs> in the pew on a Sunday morning um, and I want to say if God does a new thing and 10,000 people want to come and worship on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah, that's amazing. But there are attendant risks, one of which is both the pride and the greed of those in positions of leadership. And uh, we all know there are scandals, both financial scandals and sexual scandals. Not to say that there aren't financial and sexual scandals in small sure. churches as well, because there are. So it's not just mm -hmm. a problem there. But we have to revive a sense 
of the people who are handling sacred things, the word of God and the sacraments and so on, of those people being called to be absolutely above board and squeaky clean in all their dealings and all their relationships. And to the extent that that hasn't been so, shame on us, shame on God's church. And that causes people in the world outside to say, huh, you Christians, you're just like the rest of us. And that that is almost the worst thing that could be said of us. And people ought to be saying, wow, that's a different way of doing stuff. Um, how does that work? And the answer is because mm. of Jesus. That's what we always ought to be aiming at. Mm. Thank you so much, Tom, for, for addressing these questions. There was one more from Doug in Kentucky, but I think you've actually addressed it quite well. It was His question was sort of generally about the idea of taking me time, recharging. His father was a pastor. And even with a small congregation, that was taxing and stressful. But there's always that question, well, are we supposed to be denying ourselves following christ taking up our crosses does that mean we yeah. we work every hour of the day in that sense um but it's it's a this is a difficult one for me to to answer because <laughs> my my family and friends would probably say i'm a workaholic <laughs> actually i'm not i was bemoaning the fact this morning that my golf clubs have been sitting in the back room here for two years and and since we left scotland i, I haven't had them out once um i think there is a proper rhythm a proper balance um at the same time, I react strongly against people who use the thing of needing me time as an excuse for only doing sort of five hours a day work or whatever. That, that just won't do. Um, we are called to to, uh, to use the gifts we've been given in God's service and find the right balance in doing that. And that will vary from time to time mm -hmm. according to family responsibilities, etc. And actually a small congregation, if you only have 30 or 40 regular church members, you could probably get to know all of them very well mm -hmm. and that would be time consuming if you have 4,000 members in your congregation you know perfectly well you can't get to know them all so maybe that would take the heat off and you'd have to appoint other leaders to help you with that so it's a constant struggle about our personalities about the particular situation about our family needs about the different seasons and rhythms of life and we've just got to be wise about mm -hmm. it prayerfully wise is the only way to go so often the answer to many of these pastoral mm -hmm. questions it isn't is. it it is um uh, thank you very much, Tom. I, I hope you get some uh, some rest and relaxation <laughs> today at some point. Uh, but it's been great spending a little time with you again on today's show. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today to our end of year show. And we've much more to bring you in 2022. We'll be launching Premier Unbelievable as a wider theology and apologetics ministry, including Ask N.T. Wright, but also our other programs, the C.S. Lewis podcast with Alison McGrath, The Unbelievable Show, and many more resources that we're planning to launch, including an Ask N.T. Wright Anything YouTube channel. We'll also have a new website to tell you about as well lots of exciting plans uh, if you want to join us and help us in making these plans a reality and reach more people with thinking thoughtful christian content that reaches both skeptics and christians then do support us if you can uh, an end of year gift would be most welcome to help others to discover tom's thought and theology the links for that are with today's show for now thank you very much for being with us in 2021 i wish you a happy new year and I'll see you in 2022. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. 
our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures. Connect with students from around the world and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.